Hello, Chris. Thanks for joining Back End with Gerald Black. It's really a pleasure having you on my podcast, where we try to dig in and really find out what happens behind the scenes. Right? It's a pleasure having you here today. And for the benefits of those who don't know who Chris is, uh, I think I'll just let you introduce yourself. Yeah, sure. Thanks, Gerald, for having me on your podcast. Uh, my name is Chris Krikowi. I co-founded a company called Sleepcube that basically builds digital platforms that help integrate entry-level talents into the workforce and also sort of help uh, companies hire early career professionals uh, and also upskill them as well. Um, I'm a product guy. Um, I stepped down from Sleekube in 2021 uh, and I joined a company called M Pharma. I was, uh, uh, <clears throat> I was a group product manager at M Pharma, helping them build out their supply chain process, um, and just improving and optimizing their, uh, their, the ability to move items and drugs, life-saving drugs from their warehouses to, to the pharmacies and the uh, uh, chemists that served communities um, within Nigeria, Ghana, uh, Kenya, and um, we're, we're just expanding to, to Gabon by the t- time I left. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. I'm a product guy. I build products, uh, digital products for startups, scale-ups, and also established businesses. Awesome, and- awesome. Awesome. You, you mentioned, you know, you, you left M Pharma. So do you want to share what you're currently up to? Um, yeah, I mean, it's public news now. I- <laughs> and uh- that I, I just joined Jetstream as director of product. Uh, awesome. It's a very exciting, very exciting uh, time. Um, just I think I like what Jetstream tries to do, which is um, facilitate intra-Africa trade, but also just empowering African startups to export their local commodities to international market. I think it's very interesting and uh, it's very exciting to sort of come into a company at the stage where they are and build out the tech and product that will help facilitate the goal, this lofty goal that they have. And yeah. then, I mean, one thing that's very, one thing that's very evident is the fact that I like to build for African startups. Like I've always loved that that story. I mean, I mean, people remember that that story of me, uh, uh, you know, rejecting an, a Microsoft job. Um, I think, I think it just tells it tells the kind of uh, interest I have for like facilitating um, growth for uh, tech within the continent and just helping African startups scale. Awesome, awesome. Well, you know, you've touched on a lot of things and we'll come right back to all of those things you touched. Um, I remember back in the days, I, I think we connected in 2016 or 17, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, you were one of the very early stars we had in the um, Nigerian or even African tech ecosystem, right? Um, from your days of the Antisha Prize, you know, and all of that. But um, just before we get into Slate Cube, right? Um, I think I'm just curious, right? So, what were the things you were doing prior to Slate Cube, and you know what led to you building Slate Cube? So, you can just provide some background and then touch a bit on, you know, what made you build Slate Cube. Yeah, <laughs> it's very interesting when I hear this question because, like, uh, most people feel like my life started at Slate Cube. I think to a large extent it did, right? Um, we. Officially registered Slatecube as a company in 2018, but prior to that, uh, Slatecube was like a product within my very first company, which was Microbolt, right? Um, and the whole idea was uh, back in school. Uh, so I, I went to Unisic first. I don't know for those who don't know, uh, I went to Unisic. So I went, I, I schooled there, I studied computer science. Uh, but interestingly, a year before I got into Unisic, I wrote in for medicine and surgery, wow. which was because like 
um, yeah, and then I, of course, I checked my, you know, the usual, the usual Nigerian story. I didn't see my name in the first list. I didn't see my name in the second list. So I just like, I just didn't, I just stopped checking, right? Um, and then during that year, I decided to take a gap year and just like focus on just figuring out what exactly I really wanted to do and why I was even choosing to do medicine in the first place. And then, you know, during the course of that period, I, I met this guy who was at Uniben and, you know, I, like, and, I've been curious as to how, you know, when you log into Facebook, and I give this example to everybody because, like, that's my story. You log into Facebook or any digital platform, for instance, or social networking, because that was the phase when, like, the whole crazy about yeah, social platforms, like, yeah. So I'm like, you go to Facebook.com and your wall shows you a different experience. And then somebody else is on the same site and they're seeing a different thing. And I wanted to know why, how. Because, like, my own experience of the, of, of, you know, computing at the time was just, I, you know, you go to, if I give you a Microsoft Word document and you open it, the same thing that I have on my screen is what you're going to have. So I really wanted to know how that whole thing worked. Or like, I guess most people who just wanted to, you know, have an account and just network and talk to people. I really wanted to know how these things work. And so I just realized that that, that's, that has always been like my kind of person. Like I've always wanted to explore beyond just be a customer of a, of a service. I really yeah. know how to build so I met this guy, uh, was screened at Uniben at the time, and then he mentioned to me that, uh, hey, he gave me like the intro. I don't want to spend too much time talking about that, but yeah, he, he said, there's computer science, computer engineering in Nigeria. If you're doing computer engineering, you're basically doing electrical and electronics engineering, and that's not what I wanted to do. Uh, but if you wanted to build um, software and like, you know, code yourself um, that you could sort of use on the internet, on the browser, and like on mobile devices, then you might want to do computer, computer science. So that was when I was sold. And... You know, I wrote for computer science. My name came out. And I go to school to do clearance, right? Um, because when you join, you have to do like the, the traditional clearance. And then they tell me uh, I actually had uh, an offer for medicine and surgery from the previous Wow. Hour. Wow. wow. So, <laughs> in the supplementary list. And she was like, well, this has happened before. If you want to pursue it, like there is still an avenue. And then, then I said, no. And the guys who were around me were shocked because, like, Everybody I was so I was so glad I was not doing that. Is that thing where you go to a you know, I know everybody's experienced this. If you're in the arts class, science, or I mean, if you're in the you know, in high school, you know, in Nigeria, you have arts, commercial, and science class, right? If you're in the science class, sciences, it's either medicine and surgery or engineering. Or I mean, if you're exposed a little bit, then there's pharmacy, but that's it. And then if you're in the uh, commercial class, you're considering uh, banking and finance, accounting, all that stuff. And then arts, obviously, the first thing is law before anything else. And so that's how sort of like um, people were conditioned. But anyways, I, I, I got in, I did computer science uh, and I was very, very big on like all my programming courses. I think I had healing on my, on my wow. um, programming courses. Wow. The other ones who I felt courses were distractions. Like I wasn't keen on like, you know, by bio 101 that we did in like uh the first year like or all those general studies courses i mean i'm not saying people should, shouldn't take those things seriously but like in the grand scheme of things those things don't really matter even i know people try to make arguments as to why you have to be a well-grounded person and like supposed to um be where you specialize but i think at the same time uh i was looking at my pairs at stanford right because um we're using the edx platform and I was looking at there. I think it was called CS50. It was a course on EDX called CS50. And I was seeing that in the first semester of the first year, guys, you're already writing like pure programs that we're running on. Like, you know, 
Yes, and our our lecturers we are writing code on the board. <laughs> I don't think what has changed today. Yeah, exactly. So like it was, and I was just I think for me I was lucky that I think in the second semester, if I'm not mistaken, I met this guy called Majesty. He was very big on like actually writing code and like having us have our laptops and test these things. And you know, because many of the guys who end up doing computer science, at least as at the time I was studying were doing computer science because they didn't get into medicine or they didn't get into like an engineering course, right? I, on the other hand, was one of the very few who wanted to study computer science. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. And remember, it's not, it's, not, it's not as it is now where a lot of people are now trying to go into computer science. Back then, yeah, people weren't really so keen on like, doing computer science. So anyways, I connected with this lecturer. We're very close. And um, yeah, fast forward after I finished and you know started sleep QP, he actually became one of our board of directors. Oh, wow. Yeah, he was on the board for a bit. Um, moved from the school and went to work to, I think it was Sheffield University, University of Sheffield. I'm not sure which one now. Um, but that's that's that. And anyways, I give this background because after finishing school, right, I had a ton of my classmates who um, were not finishing. Before we finished, a ton of my classmates wanted to do their the, the compulsory industrial training that you have to do in the, your, your third year. That's 300 level. Um, and so a huge chunk of them came over to do that at our, our office in Lagos. But I still had friends who couldn't come to Lagos, didn't live in Lagos, and obviously we had our constraints because like the office was a small, I mean, it was a small space initially. Is, is this microboat now or slate cube? No, no, microboat. Microboat was the precursor to slate cube, yeah. Okay. So uh, they came over, and then we said, you know what, we can make some of these classes that we're creating like a toned down version of what you find online and then we'll just record sessions that we have in person in the office and just make it available to these guys online. We just build a very small, we're not thinking of building a company or anything. Like we just said, and that's basically what we did. We put together the content and some of our classmates were taking these things very seriously, taking the classes and then we introduced tests just to sort of, you know, um, and, and yeah, and, and that was basically it. And then we said, you know, what if we could offer a virtual internship to people? I remember, I'm talking about at this time, the only guys who were doing what we were sort of thinking about was Sheshewa. I don't know if you even remember them now. No, they, yeah, they were, and they were doing this in collaboration with the Lagos State Government. Okay. Uh, meets Sheshewa, which is Yoruba for She Walk Day. Is there work? Because that's yeah. exactly. So I remember that that was the only thing that was, so we modeled some of what we we're trying to do after them, but also brought in the tech beat because they didn't have that tech beat. In what they were doing. Um, and then we sort of, it grew, it grew because like some of my friends were now saying, oh, can we, I mean, we have other classmates from other schools who would want to sort of join this program and, and then we just opened it up to them. Like, and, and, and that was it. Like, it wasn't like I sat down and said, what's this next big thing that we have to do? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it wasn't like we felt like we needed to start a company. Like other, my microboat, by the way, was an IT servicing firm. Nothing interesting. The only interesting bit to what we did back then was, um, uh, what's it called? Um, I had some, like I had, I don't know how this guy at MTN had found out about, about what I was doing, but he reached out and wanted us to, wanted me to speak to his alumni, like a high school in Ibadan. And so I came over, I talked about what we were doing at Microphone, and he was very impressed. So we maintained that relationship. Yeah. Anyways, he eventually reached out and um, we did an R&D for like a, a tablet device. This was 
when techno was basically just still coming out, not what it is today. Um, and we did an RD, I think it cost me about a thousand dollars. We were able to get 10 devices from China. We designed everything here. Um, wow. Yeah, we designed it here. I worked with some of my classmates even and then sent the, the prototype and everything to uh, the designs and everything to a company in China. Um, and they were more than happy to do this for us for a thousand dollars. You can imagine what you can do with it. A thousand dollars can't do much now, but like back yeah. then. Yeah, and you know, I was lucky to have. You know, it, it's exciting how, you know, I've been following the journey from school to, you know, you found an opportunity which was actually solving a problem because a lot of people wanted to learn on what, you know, possibly was the next big thing, right? And I presume this gave birth to Slate Cube, right? So yeah. um, now let's let's talk about Slate Cube, right? Um, you won the Azizia Prize. You, you won a lot of prizes, grants. You were all over the world. I know you were in Tel Aviv at a point. That's Israel. You know, so I, I would like to hear a bit about that journey, right? Building. How were you able to, you know, get the Azizia Prize? How did you get this going? Yeah. Um, so... It was a per chance encounter with the Anzisha Prize. I don't even know what happened, but I had started I had started Slate Cube at the time. I was this was I was back in school now and um we were basically trying to scale what we're building. And it was very interesting because people were we were seeing people use this and by the way we made our service entirely free, only charging. It was later on like someone was saying, you know, you can charge these companies, um, you know, to, to onboard these guys and you can like charge a small percentage on like the learning. And we had all this fantastic idea of things we wanted to do for free. Anyways, um, um, I, I, I think we were just about to write some of our exams. And then I don't know how. I really don't know. Because I, I was subscribed to a lot of um, business email digests that, you know, were very popular back then. I think I was following Business Insider. Um, these guys, Morning Brew, had just started at the time. There were a lot of, like, so I, I had stumbled on the news about the Anzisha Prize. And I was like, you know what? Yeah, let's apply. I don't know. But, like. We are solving a social problem. We have some traction. We have some revenue. Why not, right? And there's potential for this to grow. So why not? And obviously, there's a potential for it to serve markets outside Nigeria. So, yeah. so it's killing. Exactly. So we apl we applied, um, and I left. Okay, yeah, this was in my final year. Yeah. So I applied, and it was around that same time that you know I got into MIT, uh, and so I just left to MIT. I was there for a bit. And then I got notified that we had made it to the semi-finalist round, which was very interesting. Uh, I think at the time there were there was eight hundred people who applied. Wow, quality applications. It was, uh, and then the semi-finalist was down to, I think 30, 30 or thirty or twenty-five people. <laughs> so um, now they had to select the finalists, and I think finalist was about twelve people at the end of twelve, twelve or eight. I can't. I think eight. Yeah, so is that 12? I'm not sure now, honestly. It skips my mind what, what that number looks like. But then, um, yeah, so right after MFAMA, I mean, right after MIT, I had to come down to um, Nigeria. And then it was very tricky, too, because I don't want to go into all the details, because now you yeah, had to yeah. get to South Africa, and, and it was wild. And there's a whole story there as to how, you know, some miracle had to happen for me to get that visa in such a short time. Uh, but then, yeah, we came in here and then there were all these young guys with very fascinating business ideas from like guys who were building uh, solutions using um, 
solutions in like the energy space, using solar to power entire communities in Tanzania. What what do you what do you think stood out? What do you think stood out for the judges that particularly made you weak? Right? I mean, from the judging criteria, was it yeah. the, was it the scalability of the idea or, or the uniqueness? You know, what do you think was the qualifying thing that actually made you win that award? It's tricky. Uh but I think what? According to me. Or was it you? Was it your presentation skills? Honestly, remember I was still like what I was I was I know people would say I was like twenty twenty two at the time. Um I'm an old man now, so <laughs> I, don't, I don't look it, but like yeah. Um yeah, I, I think when I really think about it, right? And I think one of the judges was Sangu Dele, I don't know if you know him. Um, I think one of the key things there was the social impact of what we're trying to build and the kind of results that we're already getting at the time. We had a 90% success rate in terms of like placing young people into employment. And I told a story about like, you know, people, people who I met, right? People who after 10 years of graduating from like conventional tertiary institutions who didn't have any real paying job or any like, or were underpaid. And how what we're doing was helping improve the capacity of young people to get into like the opportunities that they dreamt they dreamt of. So I think that storytelling too in the pitch was very good, but also the fact that it was substance to what we were selling. We're not like some snake oil uh, merchant selling something that wasn't real. Uh, they could see it like, and they had to say, um, yeah, you know, you know the story with all this, like you see some interesting startups these days, interesting amounts of money and uh, there's really no, 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 yeah. So yeah, there was, it was it was that, and we had done all of this without any funding. It was bootstrapped entirely from my pocket. I didn't have any network, you know, and how everybody around me was supporting what we were trying to build. So I guess that's why um, I was shocked, even when the because like you don't know until the prize uh, ceremony when they announced the names. I was not. I was thinking I was probably if at best I was going to be like third or something. And I was so shocked when they announced the third place winner, the second place winner, and I was like, okay, fine. I mean, I didn't get this, and it's okay. And then they called my name. I was so shocked. I didn't. So here's the interesting bit. Just before we move on, right? Um, they had asked all of us to prepare for a a speech when we were called, right? I didn't bother. I didn't even think of. I was like, nah, this is not for me. I'm not gonna get involved. And then when they called me, and I had to come out and say something, I was like, I did not prepare anything. So uh, telling how like. I believe in what we we're doing, and I was like very, very confident in like our ability to solve problems. But like competing on that scale with other very, very interesting young people who are building some very fascinating product. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I guess so, if there's any story there, is that like just just keep pushing, and keep doing your thing, and just like you know, people who appreciate what you're doing would definitely do that, and there's no need to. to yeah, to that. absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so a, a very core part of this conversation is always about the challenges, right? Because, you know, oftentimes entrepreneurs or founders like to show us only the glamorous side. Uh, we often don't get to see the smashy, the bashy, <laughs> the hardcore work, the challenges, the pain, the sweat, you know. So I, I think I, I would like you to share some of your experiences, right? So what were, you know, some of the most challenging things that you had to face? while building Slave Cube? And how did you overcome those challenges? Yeah, I'll give you an example. <laughs> so we, we, we were very confident in what we were building. We had finished, you know, Tony Limelu. We had all these nice accolades that we were cutting. And we were like, you know what, people would be willing to work with us. And so what did we do? 
we wrote these very fancy proposals and we sent them out to, um, I think, 20 universities in Nigeria. Uh, and we made them priority. So DHL, we made sure it was priority. All the cash that we were, you know, we had some money at the time. Yeah, yeah. And nobody got back to us. Wow. Well, what was the offering? What were you trying to do with the university? We're saying, hey, let's help you guys build out your um, career development arm within your school. And we're going to give you guys slate keep content. We're also going to match your, your, your graduates to universities. It's going to increase your competitive uh, advantage when it comes to like other schools who are not using our service, right? And it's also going to improve the number of graduates you're able to throw into the into and put into gainful employment post graduation. Yeah, this is offer for them. I mean, but then we got to realize that universities, quite frankly, don't care, and it's very <laughs> unfortunate. Like they don't care. You pay your school fees, go through the, and then you get like they don't really care, right? And even if they do, they'd rather work with like a foreigner as opposed to like someone within. We don't. We have various. I, I mean, I think that has changed now. Just because of some government regulations mandating certain people to use local tech, um, but also the fact that, like, the, I think there's also the mindset 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 shift. We've seen successive successes with companies like Paystack, and so there is a lot of confidence in like the local tech ecosystem in Nigeria, but also like in Africa. But back then it wasn't, and I'm telling like people don't know how much has changed. What year was this? All of this is like 20, 2015 to 2017, really. Oh, so 2017. So it's like. Or 2018 max. Well, yeah, um, that has changed now. And I, I remember someone was saying that if said you came way before its time. Uh, and to an extent, I do agree because, like, we're seeing the likes of Stuten, we're seeing the likes of like sort of guys who are building. And I do know many of these guys by the way. Um, uh, and and I have a friend here um, who basically has now moved his edtech company to uh, it's valued at two billion dollars so that wow. is a right built wow. our platform um i think we came out a little bit too early and you know there are a lot of stories like that and it's a, it's a lot of learning there's a lot of learning that we've sort of yeah. get it do you have do you have any regrets though or anything you will have done differently if you have the chance we did, i think we did we did pretty much what we could we did the best we could do at the time and we worked with what was available to us. Like, that's an honest truth. I don't think, um, I don't feel in any way that we didn't do our very best. We did the best we could. Um, Safety was still running by the way, just that I'm not actively running and hunting. And I think also that 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 has in itself, um, you know, sort of slowed things down. Yeah. But in general, um, I'm proud of the work we did. All of the opportunities that we are getting now, and by we, I mean like the founding team, it's because of the initial work we did with Slate Cube. People trust us. People expect that we are. And that's the thing about working with like founders. Even when you get to work in like a regular um, job or a startup, right? Your ability to learn is 10 times faster than the average person because like you had to you had to be the CEO, the CTO, the CFO, the admin officer, the, even the legal. I was talking about this earlier. <laughs> yeah, literally all of that stuff, right? And so it comes with you having to learn very quickly and think on your feet. Uh, and that's why purely entrepreneurs or like people with startup experience tend to do several times better than like the average person. I, I often I often like to pull a wild card, right? A wild card gives me the opportunity to ask a question you never saw coming, right? So um, now that I have you here, I don't know if you've ever had the opportunity to talk about this, right? But my question is around the whole story with Bill Gates and Microsoft, you know, it's on Linda KG, it's on Yahoo News, it's everywhere, it's everywhere, right? 
Um, so I, I think I would love to hear from the horse's mouth, right? First question, did you really turn down the job from Bill Gates? <laughs> because, I mean, all, all the stories we have out there, we see you right next to Bill Gates in the picture. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm not working for you, dude. Like, <laughs> that's how yeah, as I'm there. I'm looking at you. I'm telling you, I'm not working. <laughs> yeah, so I, I think I would like to hear that, right? So, um, yeah, what was that about? It's funny. I mean, those stories have stopped now. But like back then, it's like every two years the story comes out. And it's just, look at Chris and Chris pictured with Bill Gates as he turned down. God, <laughs> like is that's not true. Uh, I did turn down a job offer from Microsoft, right? But not from Bill Gates, right? And people must remember that yes, Bill started Microsoft, but like he had since left Microsoft and was running the Gates Foundation. Yeah. And also, we've in some capacity collaborated with the Gates Foundation. We were even in Seattle earlier, earlier this year uh, at the Gates Foundation headquarters, right? Um, uh, they had invited us. Uh, they were trying to uh, build some some technology around. Well, they're trying to fund and get involved with like startups who are building stuff using like AI, machine learning, and all that, all that, all those fancy stuff. So we were there, um, and of course, it's AI for like social good and like um, um, yeah, social impact. So. Um, I think I've addressed the first one. The first one is I didn't turn, a, turn down a job from Bill Gates. It was Microsoft, and it was before that meeting. The only thing that happened during that meeting was me saying, um, in that conversation, right, and interestingly, it was here in South Africa, right, um, where uh, it was in Durban, where we it was a problem that you know I was there with Bill, and then there were some other uh, entrepreneurs who were building like, solutions to problems on the continent. And I was asking Bill, I said, he had a, a foundation. He had an investment arm called Cascade Investments. I don't know if that still runs. And I was saying, I was looking at his portfolio of investments, and they were in, there was not one African business. And I said, "How are you churning in these billions of dollars into social impact projects on the continent, and not investing in startups? Wouldn't you think that the most sustainable way to uh, push development on the continent is by funding start um, entrepreneurs who are solving social problems?" and understand that they're entrepreneurs and don't expect you to always throw grants to them as opposed to government agencies and like NPOs and uh, uh, NGOs who rely on donors and funding from um, external partners and, uh, uh, well, donors, right, to run every single operation that they sort of do. Um, and that was my question, right? And I was like, yeah, and I said, by the way, entrepreneurs like myself who've turned down jobs from you know, believe it or not, Microsoft, uh, some of the people I think yeah. might make the most sense for you to sort of invest in. Um, but that was the conversation. Uh, and then, of course, you know, trust sensational blogs. They said, uh, you know, I <laughs> there was nothing I didn't hear. But yeah, I, I would like to set the, the record straight. Um, yeah. I, I, think, I think I already have a title for this podcast, right? I did not turn down a job from Bill Gates. <laughs> Controversy. <laughs> <laughs> you know, controversy sells, right? Uh, yeah. do, do, yourself, do you see yourself building another startup anytime in the future? Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I have five years to play, and I don't want my current employers to hear this, but um, I think I have, yeah. I mean, it's like, I know that I want to actively contribute to building uh, established, um, to helping established startups and scale-ups build um, digital products that can last for a century or even more. That's my plan. But I'm not going to be doing that for, for too long. Um, I'm excited about where I am right now. I think it's the perfect uh, place to sort of do some of that. Yeah. Of that. 
Now, I'm curious though, I'm curious, how were you able to manage the transition from being a founder to now, you know, being a part of a team, right? Because I know um, the latter has you calling the shots most of the time, right? But now you're having to work with a team where you're contributing, you know, and you just have a role to play. So I, I know a lot of times people struggle with those very two worlds, right? So how were you able to transition and still give your best? So I think people need to understand that um, as an entrepreneur, right? You, while the, while the box stops on your desk or your table, right? It's very important to understand that, um, yes, I agree with this, that when you work for a company, you can never, you can never be overworked if you're an entrepreneur moving to a, a, a startup that you can never, because if you have, let's say, for instance, I'm responsible for product, right? I know my stakeholders. I know what we have to do. Like my KPI is a very, but as an entrepreneur or like as an entrepreneur, you are responsible for every single team that you have on your, like in as much as you have like heads of war, directors, VPs, SVPs, whatever you have, you still are going to be held responsible if you don't, if, if they don't meet their targets, right? And so that's the difference. But like when you work in a company, I think it gives you, while you come in with your entrepreneurial mindset of I am responsible for a lot more than what I'm doing now, it helps you to achieve your goals very easily. Yeah. And it's okay. It's a very, it's a fine trade-off for not being in control of everything. Also, um, how companies are structured these days is founders who are hiring other founders know that they have to defer to um, these other people for their areas of expertise. Like, I'm a product guy. I don't expect like, yeah, that's that's the relationship. They expect that I I call the show when it comes to product, but I it's a collaboration at the end of the day. I've never even running a business, right? Um, I mean, in the early stages, obviously, I was you know trying to micromanage all my team members, and, but like as you grow, you sort of realize that if you hire someone to take up a responsibility, let them be the highest authority in that space, and then you just you just ask them questions. That's the, that's the that's the best thing that you want to do as an entrepreneur. So I don't really see that there's so much of a of a trade off. Um, if you work for a, a company that respects you, that values you, uh, and 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 um, uh, allows you to make decisions on your okay, okay, I have two final questions, and we could bring and we can bring this to a close, right? So um, I think the first one would be, what part of your childhood, you know, your your parents, your siblings, your life basically prepared you for everything you're doing today, right? Um, was there a particular type of upbringing or training that you had, you know, to do all the things you're doing? It's a very good question. I'm even glad you asked. Uh, prior to this call, I was speaking to my mom and uh, she was like, she's, and we don't, by the way, we don't speak pidgin in my house. So when she, when, when she said this, it was quite funny. She was like, nobody today starts. That's uh, what she said. It made me laugh. It was like, I understand what she was saying. So I don't come from a wealthy home. Uh, things are a lot better now and I'm grateful to God for all of that. But like, my dad made some decisions back then. I don't know. Even now, in retrospect, I don't know what informed it. But like back then, he decided that you know what he was going to buy a computer for us. Like he bought he bought a, I think it was a Windows ninety five. Uh, um, yeah, I remember back then, and I was I think that set up the right tempo for like all of this. Because now, I, I mean, I'm I'm within the computers and like devices, but back then, like he bought that, and unlike what most people were keen on doing with their devices for those of my friends who had like who were playing games and I think they were like all oh, these games back then. Like, I wanted to I was I was I was um 
I was trying to figure out how certain things worked. I was exploring. I really wanted to know how how this whole thing worked. I was writing. I think we were writing basic at the time, just playing with the whole uh, programming space. I wanted to create because like he would bring a disc and say, oh, this disc has like uh, some of the songs that he likes. And rather than just play the song, I want to know how those songs got on those on that disc. I wanted to. And so that was, I think that that helped a lot. And then um, my parents also also uh, told us that we were five. We are five, actually, five kids. And so they're not going to buy MP3 and MP4 and MP5 for everybody. So and, and and so sometimes they don't buy those things. And if you want to, they'll teach you how to sort of, you know, figure out a way to make money. And so I remember back then, a story that we always tell my, my, my brothers just to motivate them. I went to buy an MP5 and I did everything. I would go in, we had a farm. I would go into the farm. I would go pluck vegetables, put things. And I, I would sell that. I was like, I was in high school anyway. I just put it somewhere in, uh, so we knew that it plays close to Redemption Camp. Um, that was like where I went to school. And I just put it there and then had someone sort of help me sell while I go and I get what, 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 what. <laughs> Yeah, and that was very, and the thing is, people people don't want to do those things these days, right? Everybody feels entitled. Now, I, I mean, I end, I end a couple millions every month and that's great. But like back then, you know, yeah. I, I, it's none of your business, Jared. Um, <laughs> After. <laughs> I would take, I'll take Popo, I'll take, you know, sugarcane, I'll take stuff that we had in our farm and I'll put it and then I have to figure out the pricing. So I think those things helped me sort of get very entrepreneurial yeah. in how I went about pricing my products now, even how I think about how cons- consumers would think about services that we're selling to them, how they make those decisions for, do I buy, do I not buy, do I buy later, do I pay in installments, that kind of thing. So that helped me and here's the interesting bit of that story. My my dad and my mom allowed me to take that. Like, yeah, fine, like whatever. Just you know, you're not stealing anybody's money. It's your stock, and you're able to manage that with school. And they really liked it. Anyways, I put that out, and I I I actually I should have said this before that I went um, to the market this one time with my mom, and I saw an MP5. Loved it. It was a very nice one that you flip, and like you could play videos. And, like I really loved it, but I knew that they were not going to buy it for me. So I, I I went in and I asked the guy how much. He told me I think then it was like. 4,500 or so. It was like, this was like, imagine me back in high school. <laughs> so I was like, okay. So I, that's what I did, put together those vegetables and I raised enough money and I went back and bought. So I think that sense of accomplishment when I was able to buy that thing made me realize that if you put a plan together and you're able to put together something that people want to pay for, you can basically do whatever you want to do. I think, so that, that up- upbringing was very helpful to, um, uh, I guess, get me to where I am today. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So our final question would be, uh, actually, it's a twofold question, right? But it's the final one, I promise. Um, so what's your take on the entire African tech scenery? Do you think we're headed in the right direction with the products you see today, um, the founders, the quality of execution? And secondly, what would you your what would be your advice for emerging founders? you know, looking to build and solve, you know, very key problems in our society today? Um, that looks like a four-pronged question, but I will try and respond as much as I, and if I miss anything, please, please correct me. First of all, I always point, point to the, the, the pay stack case study. I think, um, in a way, yes, but I think there's this very terrible culture that we have, which is if somebody's doing something, then we feel like, um, 
everybody should be doing the same thing and mm-hmm. plus, yeah plus classic example is is the fintech space right um but the people who really cared about a problem and moved towards solving it are the ones who are better off for it today and i feel like every every you know bargaining entrepreneur who wants to um start a company or solve a problem must figure out the market size and figure out if people actually have the capacity to pay for it. And I think also, interestingly, we have um, a bunch of incubators, uh, incubator and accelerator programs on the continent now from the likes of like your Techstars, um, organized by, I forget their name now. Um, and they're helping sort of shape the the startups and the entrepreneurs that we have. And I think that's really good. There were some very interesting ones that I, I I was very um, excited to work with um, with the Texas Labels program um, from January, I think, of this year. So that's good. I think, I mean, we have Lagos. Nigeria is not short of people with fantastic ideas, but helping them shape those ideas um, into like scalable products and profitable companies is, is I think, what we need to consciously do and like, uh, do at scale and at uh, um that 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 would just be my take. Um, people should not pursue entrepreneurship just because it sounds fancy. It isn't, and that's the thing that yeah. you when you when when hits the fan. <laughs> so um, it's good to, to sort of you know, we romanticize, and I think it's good you asked the question you asked earlier. And of course, I can't I I couldn't have taken all the time to sort of get into that. But like entrepreneurship is not easy. It's hard. Yeah. It's very difficult. You're gonna go these when. <laughs> I see Jared laughing. Because, <laughs> because, because like time, so yeah, I know what you're talking about. You see, you see, the, you see all the nice headlines. I mean, I mean, Forbes thirty under thirty, great. But like, there were times when I couldn't pay salaries, right? Being a Forbes thirty under thirty, and many of these things are, and it's unfortunate that some of these accolades now. Um, and I, I'm not saying that that's what they're doing, but I do know that some of these things, like. People, they don't hold the value that they, they typically had before, right? Where people are now bribing their ways to get certain things. Uh, people are lying on their financial reports just to see me particular kind of way. It's not, it's like, don't look at those things. I think that would be my advice to, to, to entrepreneurs and like what I think is going wrong in our, in our society today. And don't get into fraud. Don't create fake enterprises. And <laughs> uh, and then listen to New York. Like, don't do those things. Like, getting, like, I think... We want to glorify entrepreneurship without doing the work. We don't want to get involved with like the, the, the dirty bits. I think it's like actually building a product, right? Yeah, and so that that's the that's what I'm beginning to see as the the what's the word now? It's the, it's the pattern I'm seeing in like the the tech ecosystem in in Africa that I, I really would like. I mean, some reports were released the other day about like some shady behavior about entrepreneurs in in Kenya, and it's not acceptable because. What that means is we were encouraging a, a generation of young people to forget about traditional nine-to-five jobs and go create create uh, create solutions to some of the biggest problems on the continent and thereby um, creating jobs as well. But now what we are doing is we are bastardizing entrepreneurship and being a founder uh, by creating this, I mean, facilitating this bad ego, this culture of um, it doesn't matter what the product is, it doesn't matter what the service is, just prop it up, do whatever you can, get lights, cameras, look good speaking like there was a time when i consciously said i wasn't going to be entertaining any of those anymore like i and just sit down and actually build a product and improve the service we're, we're offering to our customers and i think if entrepreneurs sort of did that 
um, they will be better off for it. Their companies will be better off for it. Their bottom lines, their bottom line will be better off for it, and their their customers will be better. Off. Yeah, awesome, awesome. Thanks a lot, Chris, for jumping on this with me. Um, I know I've been trying to get you to do this for <laughs> for a very long time, and finally here we are. I really appreciate. Um, one last thing. Uh, what is the best way to reach you? I remember back then, you know, a simple Facebook message. <laughs> that was how we connected, right? So back then, a simple Facebook message would do, right? But today, uh, what is the best way? Is it LinkedIn? Is it email? You know, for those who are trying to get across to you. Yeah, uh, LinkedIn is the best way. And on LinkedIn, I have a, I have a link on LinkedIn that allows you to sort of schedule, a, I think it's a 25-minute um session and i'll be happy and it's for free so yeah session on what um so ideally product my product um anything around products if you want to build a product if you're thinking about like product design product revamp uh but also if you just want to vent about your startup uh yeah i i will make time as much as is possible um so just schedule something in and i'll be happy to speak to you speak with awesome 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 all right, for those trying to reach out to Chris, a simple message on LinkedIn would do. And, you know, fortunately, Chris is very open to having conversations with as many as possible, right? I'm really grateful for this time. Thank you for jumping on back end with me once again. It's really, really appreciated.